0: plushcare.com slash weight loss from accuweather.com this is everything under the sun it's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from accuweather and from around the world bringing you behind the scenes information stories and news on the weather climate change and the outdoors covering topics from the worlds of science sports and space it's all the information you need to weatherproof your life and now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather Meteorologist, Dean DeVore.
1: Friends, welcome into Episode 5 of our fall series here in 2021. In our first rays of Focus segment this week, I've got some inside information for you on a movie that comes out just in line within when this podcast is dropping here. It's called 13 Minutes. And it shows how people in a town react when they have just 13 minutes to prepare for dealing with one of the most ferocious tornadoes on record. Then after that, I'll be joined by AccuWeather's Senior Vice President for Weather Content and Forecast Operations and our Chief Meteorologist, Jonathan Porter. And he and I will talk about the concept of increasing lead warning time for tornadoes and other major weather events. And also, as we always do, John and I will talk at the end of the podcast about the weather for the upcoming weekend and the week Beyond coming off what was a stormy week on both coasts, friends, sit back and relax as we get ready to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Well, in this day, Episode 5 of our Everything Under the Sun Fall Series podcast drops. It's also the day of the release of the movie 13 Minutes. It's opening in theaters and on premium VOD on this Friday, October 29th. Um, the movie stars Trace Atkins, you know him from uh, country music fame and uh, acting as well, Golden Globe and Emmy nominated actress Thor Birch from the Walking Dead, uh, Amy Smart, DC Star Girl, and one of my favorites, Peter Fascinelli. You, I loved him in Nurse Jackie. Um, also, and Hesh Paz Vega, Will Pelt, Sophia Vasilieva, And a breakout performance from Shaley Mansfield, The 13 Minutes, follows four families in a heartland town as they are tested on a single day when a tornado hits, forcing their paths to cross and the redefinitions of the meaning of the word survival. Understanding the storm's effect on communities is what drove first-time feature director Lindsay Gosling to work with certified storm chaser Travis Farncombe and... Lindsay wrote the story. It had great input from Travis. And the reason is that Travis is a certified storm chaser. And we are so glad to be able to welcome Travis Farncombe to talk about 13 Minutes here on Everything Under the Sun. Travis, welcome into the program. I'm really excited. Uh, I've gotten a chance to see the movie. And uh, as a meteorologist myself, obviously, um, someone who's charged on giving out information to people and helping them stay safe in these situations. Um, you know, I just came at this with thinking that uh, 13 minutes, you know, when you're waiting for something you really want, 13 minutes can seem like an inordinate amount of time to wait for that uh, last thing that is really something that's going to make you happy. But when something is bearing down on you, like the uh, biggest uh, tornado ever, 13 minutes is not a lot of time. And so I think this film does a great job in talking about, you know, some of the challenges that are there in these situations in terms of finding out uh, about us as people in terms of what we are like as people and uh, in these uh, dangerous situations Travis I, one of the things uh, I know you pro- help produce uh, Lindsay Gosling the the uh, director and writer of the uh, of, of the movie and and I think because of your storm chasing and which is a big part of your life uh, help contribute to the ideas of the storm I want to talk a little bit before we get into the movie itself how that really uh, contributed to the ideas of, of this story and and some of the things to kind of emphasize when you were looking at the movie. Uh, you've been storm chasing uh, 10, 11 years now. Um, you live in Canada, but you spend a lot of the uh, spring and summer months down in the middle of the United States in Tornado Alley. So that's been kind of your wealth of resource and how you try to help Lindsay and, and get this, this film written and produced and, and get ready for the actors to, to step on the sets, right?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I've spent, um, I spent years and a lot of time down in, in tornado alley, um, all across kind of the plain States. And I think that being a storm chaser, you know, the way that it contributed in the kind of conceptualizing of this film was just the fact that so many tornado films are focused on storm chasers Mm -hmm. and they are a lot of fun, but they're not real. And so, We decided that we wanted to, first and foremost, make a film that really grounded itself and rooted itself in the communities and the people who live, you know, in areas where where they're impacted by these types of deadly, destructive events and show kind of the real side of a day like this. And so as a storm chaser, you're always out there looking for for the beauty and the power of nature, but you're hoping to see it unfolding out over the open plains, over the prairie. And the worst part about being a storm chaser is knowing that from time to time, people are impacted. What's so important about film is that you can tell a story and you can start discussions or participate in discussions and really get people talking and thinking about how they're going to behave, how they're gonna act, how they're gonna respond. And that's really what we were just getting at with uh, with thirteen minutes.
1: It's it's kind of like that fusion between entertaining someone, but also giving them some information and some things to try to inform them because. Let's face it, I mean, uh, tornadoes are, we know where the maxes are every year. Uh, tornado alley in the spring, we get a second max in this country in the United States in the uh, fall as well. But we're seeing tornadic activity in places that we didn't normally a- expected with this uh, evolving climate and the changing climate. Farther north, uh, Acuweather's based in State College, Pennsylvania, and I've seen more tornado warnings around our n- situation, and we've been giving out warnings even farther north in these situations so this is not only a tornado alley problem anymore this is becoming more of a problem throughout much of the the country while it's not going to be necessarily the super category five storm that the is bearing down on this town that is in the movie but um anything like this can help the the people get ready and think about this kind of thing and and do it in an entertaining way is that is was that kind of the goal as well
2: Absolutely. So when we when we developed all of the characters and the storylines and the arcs of 13 minutes, what we did was we we considered first, what are the different reasons that people find themselves in trouble uh, during severe weather events? And we focused on, you know, the notion that some people might not believe a warning. Right. They might be insensitized to warnings. I think they sometimes have,
1: I think sometimes the wordings that we use, you know, like when you hear things like "slight risk," well, that doesn't seem sound like a very big problem. But those are the kinds. I mean, sometimes we can have the worst uh, situations because people aren't necessarily prepared. So it's the way we present it too. Sometimes.
2: Oh, for sure, it's the way that we talk about it, and to that point, one of our goals and one of our missions and our kind of kind of our North star in making this film was making sure that we were true to the language around watches, warnings, and all of the kind of lingo that goes into um, how we communicate a severe weather event to society or to communities. Uh, So we were true to that. We were absolutely true to the weather. So we followed weather patterns throughout the film, the way that the skies unfold over the course of the film up to and including this, absolutely fierce and horrific tornado impact. Um, All of that mirrors the human dramas that our characters are experiencing during this day. And we made sure that there's every sky replacement that we did, every choice that we made with VFX, all of it stayed true to nature and grounded in reality. Because ultimately, we had faith that the audience doesn't need us to glorify a day like this or you know, take take too many creative liberties with an event like this. We just leaned into the the realism of it and knew that that would be the most dramatic, uh, you know, action packed and important way to to put a day like this onto the screen.
1: So, uh, other than yourself, who uh, spends a lot of time storm chasing, did you have a lot of other folks uh, in that have? background in severe weather meteorology contributing or as I watched it, I was really Fascinelli did a good job being the meteorologist on air. I was uh, Peter. I was, I was really impressed. And so did you have other contributions from other people in meteorology and storm chasing and that
2: first, I want to acknowledge you are absolutely right. Uh, Peter and the rest of our amazing cast uh, just embodied the characters so well and knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. But I will say, Um, You know, I developed kind of the the weatherscape that that unfolds over the course of the film. And we had two additional weather consultants, uh, Francis Levine Thoreau and Alex Goldstein, who who helped me um, in kind of fact checking and making sure that we got it all right. And then we had, you know, a, a production design team. We had a VFX team and we had a sound design team. We had. Uh, you know, our director, our producers and everyone involved was absolutely focused in learning and understanding the weather and how they could put it on to the screen in the most realistic mm-hmm. way possible. So uh, it was very much a team effort in in putting together what we believe is the most kind of weather accurate, extreme weather film out there.
1: And it's uh, coming out uh, as this podcast drops on Friday. So will this uh, this movie, 13 Minutes. We're talking with uh, Travis Farncombe. He's uh, one of the producers of 13 Minutes. So, Travis, I would think that uh, you and Lindsay would have to have a conversation in terms of, you know, what you were wanting to do from this movie. You know, so many times we see movies about natural disasters, including tornadoes and other things where it may not necessarily be in line with the real science and stuff. I'm sure you and Lindsay had that kind of conversation.
2: We got together four or five years ago and said, let's make a movie about tornado, but let's do it right. Let's make sure we get the messaging right. Let's make sure that the audience is will kind of very subtly remember all of those messages from the film. Let's make sure that the next time someone gets a tornado warning on their phone and they're in the car, they remember what happened to Carlos in this movie. Let's remember what Anna did that landed her in the right place and what Jess did. That was really our mission. And so Lindsay and I got together and we developed the story. We created all of these characters um, and each of them. Really was was designed with a goal, and that goal was to to take them to a place in their storyline where the tornado is going to hit them, and they are going to make a right decision or a wrong decision that's going to impact their survival. And so, it's an ensemble film with many characters and a big cast, and it was it was a lot of work to kind of weave it all together. And then Lindsay uh wrote the story beautifully, and and directed the heck out of this thing it's her first it's her feature film directorial debut it's just been an amazing process to see it all come together and it's my hope that the weather community in particular but you know everyone really falls in love with the storytelling of the film
1: did you uh i think that had to be in your mind because there have been other tornadic films or or films centered on tornadoes or Extraordinary weather, and and I think there's always a a poo pooing of it by some in the meteorological community about oh this didn't make sense that wasn't right and it, but you can find that about anything I, I know doctors that get upset about the emergency room uh, dramas that they see because uh, things aren't right but again that that's something that you really as a storm chaser yourself you really wanted to tackle and make sure that those parts of the movie could be appreciated by those of us in the weather community and those of us who are professionally. Uh, driven and could see the value of using entertainment to communicate the message of what do you need to do per- and to prepare when you want the average lead time to be 13 minutes. But we found lately that lead time on some of these warnings has been less over the last few years, trying to get that back up and with it with some things. So, yeah, I think that's a very important aspect of this, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, the realism was everything Um, to me personally, as a storm chaser, as a weather geek, You're right. I didn't want to do a film about the weather and do it the wrong way. Right. And so, you know, know, like to your point, there there'd be a backlash from the weather community and and everyone who who has an eye on this stuff if we got it wrong. And thankfully, um, I can say honestly, I don't think we got too much wrong. I I think that we uh, we really, really got that right. And, you know, to your point about the that 13 minutes. That's the average, and the film really—it's—it's it's about thirteen minutes, but more so, it's—it speaks to the time that we have and what we do with it when we ha- are faced with an extreme weather event. You know, in a tornado event, some people have thirteen minutes, some people have twenty minutes, and some people have two minutes. It's—it's it's really about how we respond because you know as well as I do, we've gotten really good at forecasting, and the science is really fantastic. But all the way at the top of that line are people.
1: Right. I, I agree with that. Uh, with with the new advances in, in radar, I mean, we can see these opportunities for tornadoes. The, the thing is, sometimes now, I think what we're seeing is these tornadoes spin up so quickly that uh, you know it, it's, it's hard to get uh, enough lead warning. But um, let's talk a little bit about uh, I think we've covered that area pretty well. I want to talk about just, just the production and filming of this. Uh, how long ago did you guys actually start putting uh, the, the the paper and pen to words? Then how long from that point did it take to get into the actual production, the filming, and then post-production? And I know we're about ready to release this just as it's dropping, as our podcast is dropping this Friday. So talk a little bit to me about that timeline.
2: We started developing this story probably about three or four years ago, probably close to four years ago. Um, and it takes a lot of time to just kind of develop your characters, develop your plots, and, and really think about whether whether you're getting the story right. It took, you know, months and months of work for Lindsay to to develop the script. And in tandem with that, we were developing, you know, uh, visual references and all kinds of weather decks for everyone who was going to be working on this to, to kind of provide the, the manual on how we were going to get this done and get it done right. I guess it would have been about, about two years from its inception to the point that we started casting. The casting process for a film like this is an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of because it's a big ensemble film. And you know, we landed with Trace Adkins and Andy right. right. Las Vega, uh Thor Birch, this, this, you know, obviously household names and then some. Some newer cast members as well, so that was just incredible. And we were so lucky for this. We we filmed on the eve of the pandemic. We wrapped production in December of in December, right before kind of the world right. uh, got got engulfed in in the COVID nineteen. And so we had all of the all of the scenes, all of the filming in the can uh, when the world shut down. What that meant was we spent a lot of the pandemic in post production, which was, uh, you know, VFX project uh, process, sound, sound design. And we were able to participate in in those activities remotely, as well as in studio in some cases, um, which for for a film about tornadoes, uh, it would be very easy to get heavy handed. In, in this process because you get into a VFX studio and you get to start playing around with, you know, how you want that piece of debris to impale the wall there and how you want what it is. Is it a stick that flies through there or is it a, is it a lamp? You know, you get to make all of these cool creative decisions. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, there were moments where we had to kind of like pull ourselves back, Ring give our heads in a, a shake bit, and say, yeah. we got to make this thing real. And so we, we, we took it and got it completed earlier this year and, and here we are ready to, uh, to see it come, come to life out in the world uh, in a couple of days from now.
1: Is that is that a normal turnaround for a movie or is that a little longer from the initial filming to the actual inception? I mean, uh, in terms of Hollywood, I guess it can run the gamut. You know, they can crank out a film in just a matter of months or for something that people want to take care of and do a good job on. uh, And through extenuating circumstances, they can lengthen that process. I just don't know as a meteorologist, if that's a normal time turnaround in terms of a movie.
2: I would say that in this case the VFX the visual effects were such an important component and for our for our sky replacements we we replaced most of the skies in the film so if we had a day when we had like you know, dull gray strato right, cumulus, right, right. or whatever. Right, right. We had to throw in blue skies because you and I both <laughs> know we need to build some instability here. Yes,
1: we do. So we, so we did work, all of these right?
2: sky replacements and then work to uh work to to get the um the tornado uh impact scenes right, which were a combination of real footage and augmented VFX. I think that any film that has uh, a high degree of visual effects, the, the process is going to be extended simply because so much work has to be done after production and after the edit. It's not brought to life until the teams can go in and, and add all of that on top of, of what's been shot.
1: When you, uh, at the end of the day, when folks uh, take in this movie in, as we said, uh, I think there's some goals here. Obviously, it's to entertain, but also to inform. What are some of the key messages that you and Lindsay and everyone want folks to take away from this movie as we move forward after seeing it?
2: I think it's great if people uh, realize that their decisions, their actions, their planning, their awareness... Uh, and their preparation, all of those things will make or break survival if if they're faced with an extreme weather event like this. And then I would say the bigger message of the film is, is that it's all about survival. It's about how we survive as communities and how we survive together. And in 13 minutes, yes, it's it's an action-packed drama, you know, thriller with a wild ride and a tornado scene that's, that's graphic and, and epic. But it's also just about how, how our characters come together to, to get through it. Because when we have an event like this that comes and kind of levels the playing field, you see people come come together. And I think that's something people will really relate to right now because we've all come through mm. a pandemic. We've all had something enter our lives, take over, change everything for us, and, and disrupt the world as we know it. And now it's up to all of us to figure out how we, uh, how we re- rebuild and, and move forward from that.
1: And on top of that, we're we're going through extreme weather events, uh, flooding downpours, uh, hurricanes up the East Coast, fires and all that kind of stuff out west. Um, And we're starting to see some severe weather outbreaks here over the last month or so as some of that warm air continues to move northward, Um, going back and forth from Canada to the to the plains of the United States. Is that going to continue? Travis, for you, or are you going to continue to storm chase here going forward?
2: I am going to continue to storm chase. I have two little ones at home now, so I mean the dynamics have changed. I have fewer <laughs> hallway passes. Your partner and, uh... <laughs> doesn't necessarily want you to go out and storm
1: chase as exactly, much, exactly, right? and all that exactly. good stuff. But
2: I, um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll get down when I can. I chase safely and responsibly because if I didn't do that, I I don't think I could could go and do it with a c- good conscience. So. Uh, But yes, I mean, I love the weather. There's nothing more amazing to me than standing in some inflow with a supercell, you know, a few miles out down the road in front of me. So hopefully one day I'll be doing it with
1: my kids too. Have you guys discussed uh, you, Lindsay, or anyone else talked about maybe not necessarily a sequel with another tornado, but maybe another extreme weather event that you take a look at in terms of anything? Has there been any talk about that? Yeah, I mean,
2: I think the wheels are turning for all of us. Um, You know, we, uh, Lindsay and I, but frankly, Lindsay's going to be hard to, I'm going to have to get in line because I think (laughs) after people see this film, she is going to be a very sought after director. Um, But I will say, I think there's, I think that this film shows us that there's a bit of a new model for disaster film to do a disaster film with some meat on the bones uh, and to make sure that it can have that kind of cultural impact uh, that any good film really should. So I think we're going to look at wildfires and floods and the gamut, you know, because there's. There's a world of stories to be tell, told, and there's there's a lot of uh, conversations to be had about resiliency and response and and how we get through extreme weather events. I'd be lucky if I get to keep telling them.
1: Travis Farncombe, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward, as this movie drops, getting everybody out to see it and enjoy it and learn something about tornadoes in the weather. Thanks, Travis. Thank you for having me. Again, the movie hits theaters just as this podcast is dropping on Friday, October 29th. We wish the best of luck to uh, writer director Lindsay Gosling and to Travis. Uh, we thank you again for your time and you can follow uh, them along on Twitter at 13 minutes movie is the Twitter handle one three minutes movie. And again, we'll keep an eye on the movie as we go forward. But I wanted to take that concept of that 13 minutes, which is the National Weather Service goal for lead time, and talk to our chief forecaster, John Porter, about the importance of that, how companies like AccuWeather are trying to even make that lead time longer with the best information to you, our customers, and our partners. We're going to talk about that with John Porter up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
0: Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts,
1: Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Friends, welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. This is Episode 5 of our fall series of 2021 as we get you ready to meet life and weather head on. And we again thank Travis Farncombe, one of the producers of 13 Minutes in that first Rays of Focus segment. We're really looking forward to folks getting to see the movie and, and talk about it and talk about people's reactions when they are faced with a storm bearing down on them. And so we go really from the silver screen to reality, though, because I wanted to take some time now in the second segment and talk about that aspect of warning lead time for tornadoes and other major weather events and how those are evolving. And I thought the best person to do that is our person who uh, here at AccuWeather, we really rely on a lot to do um, so many things and kind of comment on this kind of thing. It's our Senior Vice President for Weather Content and Forecast Operations and our Chief Meteorologist, Jonathan Porter, who will talk now about the concept of Trying to increase that lead time for folks to get the best information about the weather. John, it's always great to talk to you here on Everything Under the Sun. Great to be with you. And I know this is something that is kind of near and dear, not only to your heart, but certainly to AccuWeathers. You know, let's, let's kind of go back and talk again about the premise that the National Weather Service had put a goal early on that the lead time for tornado warnings should be about 13 minutes. And I guess what, about 2011, there was a time when it was up to almost 14, 15 minutes, but the lead time, according to the weather service for them, has come down into the single digits in terms of uh, minutes in the last couple of years, eight, nine minutes. And so I know that's concerning. It it, it would be to me when I look at those numbers and think that, you know, we seem to every day, every minute get more and more technology and more and more ways to to do that. And so uh, I know... Not only, you know, we have such a great situation in this country between kind of that partnership between the National Weather Service, the public sector, the private sector where we are at AccuWeather with great companies like AccuWeather and others, and then also the educational sector, too, the universities that always are doing research and, and contributing to that. And so, you know, the, the private sector over the years has kind of taken up the mantle, too, to try to help folks get as much warning time as possible. And so I know that has been something that you and the folks in the leadership at AccuWeather has been really focused on here in the last couple of years.
3: No, Dean, that's right. It's a topic we're very passionate about. Always good to be with you and to talk about such an important topic. The concept of the tornado warning advance notice is so important because the greater advance notice you have, the more time you have to bring your family to safe shelter during a tornado situation, or if you're a business to bring your employees, stop your operation safely and bring your employees to safety. And e- even an extra minute can make the difference in terms of saving lives. So that advanced notice is really critical. And here at as you mentioned, uh, we have significant expertise around tornado warnings. Uh, we do that the best of anyone in the world relative to issuing warnings with as much accuracy and as advanced notice as possible, uh, based on our expertise that we have looking at uh, these types of storms almost every day. It's interesting, um, our Severe Weather Center in Wichita, Kansas, where we do many of those, those tornado warnings for specific business customers, and also now through the AccuWeather app as well, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, that team is looking at tornado situations almost every single day. right? And looking at all of, we have a very sophisticated uh, software a platform that we've developed internally called Smart that brings in all this real time weather data, including the highest resolution radar data available. It's almost like taking an MRI of the storm. And in so many situations, we find that our expert meteorologists are able to provide the double the advanced notice of other sources related to tornadoes, and also uh, many times issuing a tornado warning when there's no other warning provided. So take that uh, very strong unusually strong tornado in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania earlier this summer, which was the strongest tornado in Pennsylvania since 2004, a big deal. There was not a warning from any other source until that tornado was on the ground producing damage for for three minutes at that point by the time there was a warning available. AccuWeather had sent a warning to business customers in that area 24 minutes in advance, and they were able to activate their safety procedures, that using the expertise that we've built over the years.
1: So the next step then, because if we're sending that out to uh, folks that are are paying us for that warning in that situation, uh, where do we go from that to try to help the public as well? Now, I know I have my AccuWeather app, and certainly I get the National Weather Service warnings and advisories on that, but I also notice that I get things specific from AccuWeather on my app in terms of a a storm that needs watched or those kinds of things. Is that going to be something now that we see more and more of from AccuWeather is to get that kind of information more to the public? And how are we going to do that?
3: Yep, that's great. Great point. There's two actual aspects there. First, as far as the government alerts that we send through our, our app, AccuWeather is, that's an area we've really invested in getting those alerts as quickly and as accurately as possible to everyone who uses our app and our products, we deliver warnings faster than any other source through the AccuWeather app, and that's why it's so important. I always stress to people: that, you know, the AccuWeather app is such a popular tool that that uh, that people are using all over the world. But always make sure you've gone into these settings and turned on push notifications. Yes. so we can get you those warnings. People have told us, Dean, and we love to hear this. It's it's the reason we're here to do what we do. They've told us that those warnings in the middle of the night have saved their life because they were notified about a tornado through AccuWeather. And that uh, nothing makes us happier than saving lives in in that way. And one of many ways we do that. So that's aspect number one. Aspect number two is a new product that we're launching. And we're so excited about this. It's called AccuWeather Alerts. And it takes and extends, complements and extends the value of government alerts by enabling us to send warnings for situations that AccuWeather expert meteorologists, just like I just detailed, detect a hazardous weather situation and there's not yet a government warning in effect. And so when that's the case, we can issue that to, uh, to our users through the AccuWeather Alerts uh, product and, and uh, provide additional information, additional advance notice when we can, and additional accuracy around uh, those types of tornado high wind flash flood situations we're launching that product right now it's already available in many markets across the country with T-Mobile our launch partner with that service and and T-Mobile customers can sign up for that free service by going into the T-Mobile Tuesday's app and selecting accuweather alerts and then you'll get the benefit of being able to unlock that new capability something that we're going to be rolling out more broadly in the future so we're really excited about that as yet another way to provide a great insight for people to help save lives and, and keep them better informed in all kinds of dangerous weather.
1: I've been noticing a, obviously, an increase in the amounts of tornado warnings. Seems to me that we're better adept now with our radar uh, advancements and uh, are, are able to track weather, see it in the satellite, see it on all levels in a much better, like you said, we have that situation where we can go in and almost MRI a storm with the radar and kind of look at it. We're seeing those situations that we may have missed before, John, which are straight line wind situations that have enough uh, cyclonic curvature that at the last minute, they kind of just wrap up in a tornado. They may last very briefly. They're tornadic at that point. I think in the past, we were missing a lot of that, right? Do do, do you agree with that as as someone said over the
3: years? Oh yeah, that's definitely the case. I remember you and I were wor- were working one of those situations just a couple of uh, couple of maybe a month or two ago up in eastern up Massachusetts, in England, right? Yeah, right. And you you and I were talking about how uh, how these uh, storms were quickly developing rotation on those uh, lines of thunderstorms, and I think in the past the radar technology was just wasn't there to detect it. Uh, today, uh, it is, and it's all those tools that we've built in order to be able to use that that data to be able to detect those tornadoes that even maybe five years ago weren't detected so the challenge from a detection perspective oftentimes is not on the big ones they're not on the ones that end up being ef2 right. ef3 or stronger right. storms they're right right on- those
1: those those come to the picture very quickly and and usually have much better signatures right i think it's the yeah, little it's the- ef0s ef1s that uh, we sometimes uh in the past may have missed and and, and I guess to me that it can be a catch 22 because I'm, I'm seeing and hearing more warnings. I always get that uh, kind of reaction from some people. It's like, oh, you guys keep putting out these warnings. I never see a tornado. <laughs> and, and so it's, you don't want to cry wolf to people. But I always say to people, I'd rather have the information and then it not happen than not have the information and it happen. I think
3: that's a very important point. And that's one of the reasons I don't particularly love that we have a classification system that is an EF zero because right. it tells, I think sometimes people go, Oh, I don't have to worry about that. Those you have to worry about. Those are dangerous situations and a uh, 80 mile per hour swirling winds can do damage to homes and to businesses, and it can cause uh, injuries and deaths. And that's why anytime when you get a tornado warning, Don't think twice about, don't wait to see, oh, I got to see something unusual. I have to hear something unusual. Take action upon that. And that's the other reason, Dean, I think it ties back to the AccuWeather app. We provide a very specific capability in the app to intersect the warning areas that we know about with where you're located. So we send you that warning if you need to know about it. But if it's in another part of the county that's way away from you and it's not heading in your direction. We don't send it to you because again, it gets back to that point. We don't, we don't want people to, we want people to understand that when you get a warning, it's relevant to your location and that's the time to act.
1: Right. Um, Now always be knowing too, that if you're moving around, but that's the neat thing about the AccuWeather app. If you have your, current location set to the notifications. If you move into an area that, say, 20 minutes before you were in an area that wasn't in one of those warnings, and you go into an area that has those warnings, you will get the notification. So the app smartly knows where you are. <laughs> AccuWeather uh, keeps yes, track of it- where you are in that regard, which is a good thing in that situation.
3: Yeah, just, uh, just from the purpose of uh, being able to Ah, uh, send uh, warnings relative to your specific location. That's the only Absolutely. we know where where what what city you're near, so we can send that information if there's an emergency alert. And uh, the speed there is very important in order to be able to take action and to stay safe.
1: Real quick, um, you you mentioned you're partnered with we're partnered with T-Mobile right now. Are there opportunities to expand that partnerships to other people, other uh, entities? Uh, what's what's that situation looking like?
3: Yeah, I think um, this uh, exciting new capability that uh, will continue to roll out, and I, I'm sure there'll be more announcements here going forward about uh, how we'll continue to scale that. But we're really excited about uh, the ability for for us to be able to provide those additional alerts to complement and extend. Uh, The government warnings that are out there just because it's another way that people can stay safe. And I think, Dean, one other point you made, I think it's a good one that we have to be prepared for these types of events at all times of the year, too, now Mm. in different parts of the country. There's not, sometimes Mother Nature doesn't know about the calendar, right? (laughs) Right. It doesn't know that
1: we're only supposed to have severe weather in the spring. (laughs) Right. You You know,
3: unfortunately, we've had very serious, fatal tornado outbreaks on Christmas Day Mm -hmm. in the South, for example. So just, keep that in mind that, uh, be aware of what's going on. You know, if we think there's a tornado risk days in advance, the best we, you know, we always highlight that risk for, for people. So stay aware with what's happening from a weather perspective and always be ready to take action. Those tornadoes can develop quickly. And as you said, Dean, they sometimes are not on the ground for very long, but boy, they can do a lot of damage.
1: Well, speaking of it's, uh, always a pleasure for me to to then take some moments to talk to uh, John about the weather and, and kind of, look together at this upcoming weekend and the week beyond and what a week coming off oh, of a uh, storm yeah. after storm out West, some of that energy coming East with a cutoff low that uh, merged with a system off the Southeast coast and created a storm. That's going to go down in history. Kind of, you know, when you look at it, John, uh, that nor'easter ended up being more of a, even a hybrid storm. I know there was some talk about whether or not it's designation. could become extra tropical or even tropical at some point, but you know here we sit and i still see that cyclonic flow in the eastern uh, in the atlantic i mean monster storm amazing problems in uh, in somewhat of a localized area i mean it was right along the south shore of new england and and massachusetts through back through and down along the south coast in the and the Cape and the islands. Uh, I've got some friends and folks up there that I've gotten to know well over the years of me going up there to visit. of course my time on WBZ and and there are a lot of people still hurting from that storm and will, because there's another pretty uh, potent storm, not as crazy as this last one, but a a potent storm. It's not a coastal storm necessarily. It's an area of low pressure that's spinning through the middle of the country. And it's going to take a path right up into the Northeast, bringing, some decent amounts of wind, and it looks like some heavy rain, especially New York northward into New England, places that don't it, need it again here with another storm here as we go Friday into Saturday.
3: It, it does look that way. And, Dean, just on that storm for a moment, you know I'm a New Englander from Eastern yes, Connecticut, as we've talked about here before. And as I've said many times, we, we deal with big storms in New England. We, we know how to deal with this, but this one was impressive. This one was a historic storm. Um, That I think, you know, there's a lot of aspects. It was a different meteorological situation than the 1991 unnamed hurricane, Uh, the perfect storm, as many people know it as. But there were aspects of that storm that we just had that reminded me of that. That is a strong ocean storm pinwheeling back in to the coast, which is an unusual, very unusual uh, direction for storms to approach southern New England. And then the impacts, the wind impacts, I think, were more significant. Than the 1991 storm in southeastern New England, the coastal flooding was not because this one kept moving, right? right? And it's partly this storm that we're dealing with this weekend that operated as the kicker to keep this moving. Otherwise it would have been even more of a problem from a coastal flooding perspective, but it was a big deal and people are going to be cleaning up for a long time. And that's why any extra rain and wind is a problem. It's not going to be to the level of what we had this week, but it still can come down heavy for a time. And the wind is going to be active here as we make our way through the day on Saturday. So it's more problems in a place that needs a little bit of a break to help with the cleanup, which will be going on for
1: weeks. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I thought too, was again, it's one of those situations where, um, you know, we had the real high wind gusts overnight, early hours of Wednesday morning, but then the wind just kept going and going. And what I was trying to say on BZ you know, if somebody keeps pushing you for an hour, two hours, three hours, at a certain point, you're going to get tired. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, with that relentless wind in some of those places for 10, 12, 14 hours, it was steady at 2030 with gusts 40 to 50 at times. I mean, it was just inevitable that we would continue to see. Um, trees and limbs and power outages and they were still getting it this uh on thursday morning when we woke up with some stout wind off the south uh, along the south shore and the south coast in the cape there so yeah i i know i'm concerned about folks i think gusts uh, i think 30 to 40 are probably in line of what uh the, the the new england coast will see with this storm probably the peak of that on friday morning but there could be some real heavy rain uh, again, maybe in some places get more rain than they did from this big storm that we just dealt with. Um, just a couple of other highlights, too. I think uh, one nice thing is the folks out west who were delused with storms over the weekend, early part of this past week, are getting a break. Some nice weather there. Very mild, very dry. Phoenix to Houston. St. Louis is a place that uh, is going to start chilly, kind of ease out into some nice mm. weather. For the end of the weekend, uh, uh, Chicago, too, although there's a chilly breeze, a very deep dip in the jet stream. If you look at the jet all the way down to the Gulf Coast around uh, parts of Florida here, one of the deeper dips we've seen so far this summer. Now, it's not translating into a ton of cold air just because of the way the atmosphere is located. But we're starting to see these ideas that it won't be too long till we flip into some of these really chilly, colder temperatures soon.
3: Yeah, that's right. And I think, too, there will be another system that approaches uh, northern California coastline as we head through uh, Sunday and uh, especially later into Monday. It looks like it will not be sort of petering out as it heads to the east, so not as strong, certainly, as what we've been dealing with. But that'll be an interesting pattern to watch there, Dean, because we shaved off uh, a bit of the most extreme drought across northern California, especially Uh, with uh, the series of storms last week and into this week. And that was just so welcome precipitation. Unfortunately, it came at the cost of significant flooding in so many spots. But if that's a pattern that can evolve, and I was just talking with Paul Pastelock, AccuWeather's long-range expert, the other day about this. If that pattern can stay in place for some time, that is Northern California in on the action, the jet a little bit further than what you would suggest in a normal La Nina Type situation that can be helpful here over time. Whether that occurs or not remains to be seen. But look, these storms were early and they were impactful. So, um, you know, whether that's a sign of what's to come or not is what we're going to have to monitor as we make our way through the uh, next uh, month or so. And certainly another storm in the uh, Pacific Northwest as we make our way through the weekend, too.
1: You know, and Paul and his team were warning about uh, these. Uh early season uh, nor'easter potential along the East coast. This one popped up a little bit earlier than even I was thinking. And it kind of, you know, in some ways the models waited a while to pick up on it. It was, uh, I think I went uh, left at work on Friday and really wasn't even that thinking about that that much. And then all of a sudden through Saturday and Sunday, uh, the forecast wrapped up to uh, the, this prolific storm. And and I think that's the case where we're going to be in here over the next month or so. And so I think for those who live, especially on either coast right now, probably want to just kind of every day take a fresh look at the weather like we do here at AccuWeather.com. We'll get you the latest information.
3: Just one point on the East Coast, the water off the East Coast is unusually warm. Yep. And I think, and that's what Paul and his team were identifying as a potential factor in these early season storms. Might be rainstorms as opposed to snow events, you know, if it had been a couple of months later. But we'll have to monitor and see, uh, how that evolves. That's certainly going to be a risk with that warm water out in place. And as you said, this uh, storm may even do, do bring acquire some tropical characteristics as it moves well out into the Atlantic away from land. Uh, so not a factor there,
1: just more from a interest weather interest perspective. Yeah. Well, we're definitely interested in the weather. John, thank you so much. <laughs> I know you're proud of your team that's uh, been working real hard here um, over the last, uh, well, We always work hard, but uh, again, it seems like we're getting into a position after a a couple of week lull across the lower 48 in terms of not necessarily some huge storms. We're getting back into that pattern again, and it looks like the next couple of weeks could be busy.
3: Sure does. And uh, just a quick shout out to you, Dean. Thanks for all your great work, uh, as always, this week. I know. Think about all the extra I know you were doing all, almost continuous live reports <laughs> on all of our big partners in the Northeast from yeah. winds to WBZ and helping people keep, keep people informed, uh, which we're so proud to do with our partners in, in this type of
1: an event. Well, I was proud to be able to give that forecast that really kind of uh, just uh, I had so many comments like people were saying, you know, you told us it was going to be the day two with the wind and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And 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 we were we were settled on that pretty early once we got it into focus. So um, appreciate the comments, but I'm also thankful to work in front of an amazing team. John, thank you so much for being with us here today on everything under the sun. Thanks so much. You will see John featured on our AccuWeather network as he contributes uh, AccuWeather's thoughts on many situations. You can follow him on Twitter, real John Porter, real J-O-N Porter, P-O-R-T-E-R. And we'll look forward to spending more time with John, down the road. Friends, it's been great spending time with you here in Episode 5 of our Fall Series for 2021. Thanks again to Travis Farncombe, folks at 13 Minutes who were so great to work with. We look forward to, again, monitoring that movie as it moves forward after its release and screenings today on video on demand and in theaters and uh, we hope that you keep track of the AccuWeather forecast through your AccuWeather app on our AccuWeather network and our great AccuWeather partners like my great radio stations that I am so proud to be part of including the winners of the Murrow Award for best newscast my friends at KMOX, the voice of St. Louis, congratulations. We just celebrated that achievement. And, of course, 1010 Wins, WBZ, WPRO, WBBM, WWJ, and uh, KMOX, uh, all of my uh, great radio friends, thank you so much. And we thank all of you for listening. We get great feedback. If you'd like to submit a question or a thought or a comment, uh, you can do so at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Again, you can do so at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at a few things, including uh, maybe how you start to amend your Workouts because we're going from that season where it's easy to be outside to the kind of season for a lot of us, especially in the northern half of the country, where it's not so easy to be outside all the time. How to amend those workouts as we get ready for winter. Also, going to talk about the winter sky gazing and stargazing. And we'll also be uh, taking a look at anywhere where the weather meets your life. You come for the weather, you stay for your life. We're here on Everything Under the Sun. For our executive producers, Ken Prell, Andrew Rob, and for our hundreds of AccuWeather team members across the world. Thanks for listening. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, and this is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at AccuWeather.podcast at Hold up.